Hello. This is an um, artist talk with Katri Vorand. So welcome, everybody. And depending on the uh, situations, now that we are distance, maybe we can lose our masks and, and get maybe our voices clearer. I think we have distance enough. Yeah, my Estonian is so horrible, so maybe we should continue in English, right? Yes, even though not everybody here, I guess that uh, the nice people who are having coffee with us <laughs> are from Estonia mainly. But so that you know, this uh, interview is uh, recorded for Chaskar podcast. Yes. <laughs> so here I am interviewed. How, how was your last night, by the way? I, I saw you in the concert yesterday evening here in Telliskivi. Did you hear something interesting? Yes, uh, Mingo Rajandi and uh, her three musketeers had a wonderful concert. At least, well, I, I wouldn't even call it a concert. It was an experimental theatre show with experimental music, but it was very inspirational. Yeah, that was quite a wild program. The uh, guy who was um, actually doing the sort of um, poetry slam part, he's a writer, Estonian writer. Author. Yes, and he's uh, well. Uh, he's a he's a multi multi talent guy. <laughs> I can see his body language was quite strong, and very exceptional, and very experimental, yes. in the best way. So, um, how's your history with Jatskar? I understand that this is your fifteenth, actually. Performance of 15th year in in Jatskar Festival. Yes, uh, 2006 Jatskar Festival was my first, and since then it's been uh, part of my year every year with different projects. Uh, not uh, actually, I think maybe Health for Less has been uh, labeled Kadri Voran something. So it's been with different groups uh, and and project bands, but just. It's the 15th time, but next year is 15 years since the first. So you can celebrate two times <laughs> something when you have a jubilee or something. So yeah, a 15th. Can, uh, can you recall anything like um, highlights? There must be so many, but if you just have to snap one or two years that now pops to the top in these, well, these years and e different events and projects and, and concerts. Can you recall any? Well, one was the special, uh, how to say, the Bronx night uh, that Estonians remember very well. Um, that was the night when the big soldier was removed from uh, uh, the city center. And it was uh, 2007, right? The Bronx Night, yeah, and uh, then uh, we, I had a concert in um, a jazz uh, uh, club called Non 99, and it was um, at my concert time when things got out of hand uh, in the uh, on the streets, uh, on the ground level. So, and the guys um, in the in the wardrobe already knew what was going on. But they were kind enough for not letting people know what's going on. So they ended up until our last song. 
And then they came down and announced that. Uh, attention, everybody who have cars. Uh, there is a very <laughs> complicated situation going on up there on the streets. And we were still, we had just done our bow and the whole club was, was empty with like half a minute. It was just, <laughs> everybody was gone. And uh, it, it was one of the weirdest ending of concerts of all times for me, personally. And it was a kind of this one situation that was kind of a war moment that I, I kind of felt it like that. And uh, it had several kind of aspects of human emotional side that I didn't know that did exist, but it was very, yes, I will remember it forever, I think, this chess car night. Wow. Sounds like um, there will be a chapter or two in your coming memoirs at some <laughs> point of those. Considering uh, this is a big festival, biggest one in in whole Baltic states area and, and internationally as well, Yatskar is quite remarkable event in this music genre. Uh, you having been performed almost in half of all Yatskar events during the history. Uh, Uh, and mentioning the uh, background that you have had so many different projects, not only by own, your own name, but in different participating in different other projects with other artists. Um, I think interesting thing about this is how you became Katrivorant, the versatile artist, uh, flexible enough to be uh, doing all that things, all those things. So, uh, so if you have to pick from your personal history, let's say three different turning points that sort of showed you the way that leads to this point we are discussing here. That you have a very musical background, very cultural background through your family, but uh, it's not necessarily the self-evident that having a folksy background somewhere in countryside outside of Tallinn, you end up being this international performing artist. So, how did you become you? Uh, well, that's, I think, uh, the hardest question for an artist to answer her or himself, <laughs> because you just are you, and uh, It's a sum of your whole life that's uh, a reason for being that. But um, so I'll try to answer it starting from where you started your question. That I've been on half of kind of or almost half of the Chaskar festivals. It's uh, on on one hand uh, looking like I'm extremely old and being participated in some very long process. But uh, I started very early uh, <laughs> and, uh, and participated uh, already when I wasn't doing, I, I guess, creating music that I could call This is Kadri Vorant, even though at that time it seemed like This is Kadri Vorant. And then every other year, up until this day, I think that, oh, the previous Kadri Vorant was not the Kadri Vorant, so now maybe this is. That just forget about what I did last year, and this has been going on all these 15 jazz car festivals for me. 
that uh, I would kind of like to call in everybody, like, hey, everybody, come back now. I have now I have something uh, new for you. No, actually, I wanted to say that this is me. <laughs> but uh, yes, when I look back at that time when I entered professional jazz uh, performance life when I was 18 years old, then it was uh, just uh, a kind of a period for just experimenting as many things as I could. And uh, I guess me as a person was part of whatever music I created already at that time. Because uh, where I come from and why I do create music is still the same. And, and that's been kind of in my creation all the time. But what is Kadri Vorand actually, I do not know. I can only say that it's not something that I could describe stylistically myself, but uh, one thing is the same, and this is me and my stories. The stories I'm telling people through my music, lyrical, music without any texts, those are from my own real life. And uh, this is the same, and it's uh, this life, uh, uh, on whatever point in my time, the things that have already happened, I can't change the <laughs> history. So this is still me. So yeah, it's just growing all the time, like a mathematical, logical path pattern. <laughs> so it's um, it's like adding up to the previous me, you. Yes. Yes. It's like uh, we chatted back in the days about how you were born and raised in Haljala. Mm -hmm. And uh, your family, your parents were into folk music. And you were performing. You were a little country. Little girl was starting to perform with your family. And, and you had different ambitions, but at some point you were giving a fiddle because the fiddle player of the, uh, your parents' band had gotten ill or something. Mm -hmm. And you had to do some part of tour for a couple of weeks, this Borduna sound with fiddle and and then sort of jumping right to the uh, deep end, you had to learn how to improvise with something that mm -hmm. you don't maybe have that kind of abilities, not even worse when you were a little girl. So what kind of approach that background growing up in, in that kind of... Uh, very fertile environment of folk music and family respecting culture uh, gave and taught you. What do you think? What's the uh, main heritage from those years and raising up in the countryside and, and musical family? I guess uh, uh, the very fact that I was part of my mom's folk music groups, uh, concerts and gigs as far as I can remember myself. And uh, if you're out there and you have this audience to entertain, then uh, what I learned from my mom and from this group, it was a group of families. It was not a small group, and, uh, but it was a group of dancers, instrumentalists and singers. And the main thing is to uh, drive the audience into your uh, game. And it was about uh, making the audience dance with you and sing along and have fun. And uh, so 
not one minute could be just, uh, uh, how to say, <laughs> spent just staying somewhere in the background. It was all the time getting people into, the, into your play. And uh, that is something that I learned when I was a small girl. That's uh, when we were kind of, it was a kind of a um, forum of gig where we created a party that was uh, supposed to look like a party, let's say 150 years before that moment. So we created that party and uh, it was a long night, many hours long. And uh, at some point when you saw that, oh, there's uh, some people uh, just sitting there, then my mom just told one or the other guy or a girl that, hey, just go and, go and get him or go and get her to dance or, uh, or make, like, teach, teach him some, you know, some steps. So we were all the time, like, uh, ready to get the audience in. And I guess uh, that was one moment uh, of not letting go anyone. And uh, the other moment was that I learned uh, when my mom improvised uh, a runo song texts uh, just by looking at people. So she kind of put that into a song uh, when, when she was telling, hey you in the black hat man, so you're looking good. Da, da, da. <laughs> it's, like, it's like this kind of little details and then telling some uh, bigger story uh, next to it. So it was a lot of improvisation in that runo singing uh, tradition as well. So I guess telling stories and getting people in, that really is something that I got as an heritage from my mom and dad and the folk ensemble where I was raised in. It also has a, like a larger significance in Estonia, considering you have a, a, quite an extensive history of being not masters in your own country, not uh, be able to uh, present yourself in your own language and culture, but in the core of those Soviet years even, uh, language and singing and storytelling and, and culture, they were all in one package that became a singing movement or laululike and, and it was one of the core forces in the uh, independence, re-independence process of Estonia in the late 80s. So at what point did you yourself personally recognize that language and this culture side that you have grown into through your family and roots and your mother's runo singing, improvising. When did you sort of realize personally that this is your thing that you really want to do something about? Uh, I think there was no such uh, moment when I realized it because uh, singing and uh, and the singing in that national sense is just a part of my life and part of my culture in uh, in a way like my family exists that fact the very fact that we sing still uh, at uh, our relatives birthday parties and christmas time uh, at our home it's 
it's not that, oh, I, I understand that this is very valuable, so now we do it. It's just part of it. Or going to the big song celebration in, uh, in every five years and in every three years, the young, big, still big song celebration party with uh, among 100,000 other Estonians. It's, um, it's also just uh, something that is part of the life that I live, so yeah, and being part of the cultural life now in Estonia, uh, giving my own input with the music I create in a way is also something that I I did never decide to do. It just <laughs> it just happens to be like that. So uh, yeah, I think for the time I was still studying in high school. I, I never thought that I will be professionally working as a musician anyway, because I thought, so this is something I do anyway, so what's the other thing I'm going to do? That was the question. But the music took me in 100% at one point, and so here I am. But it was never kind of a, a, a moment of realization. I recall you mentioning at some point that music wasn't self-evident in your mind as a life career, you were thinking of being uh, something uh, more concrete. You you were into mathematics and 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 like um, real science instead of arts. And uh, I recall also you mentioning that when you eventually ended up to the uh, art academy, you were giving such feedback that you didn't even touch piano for a few years because it was a totally different approach that you had grown to respect, sort of improvising and 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 and, and rushing to the things instead of going around and thinking, what's my angle? Mm -hmm. So if you uh, sort of wrap up your student years or your studyings, how did you find the courage to sort of step up over these sort of expectations that how should one who's still a student uh, approach, let's say, piano or singing and still keep your own voice in what you were doing? It was a very uh, complicated path <laughs> that I was... Uh, I was uh, having the school year, especially the beginning year, the very first year, was extremely hard for me emotionally. I can admit that now. Because um, when you step into this uh, academic uh, creation, art creation world, then uh, momentarily you will have expectations from other people, and uh, but you probably uh, step into this world because you have some ideas that you you want to you want to share with people, and then for sometimes it seems like you have to put your ideas on hold, and deal with uh, with with the parts that will help you to uh, create your ideas in the way that other people will enjoy it. So just to raise the quality of your tools uh, and, uh, and, and uh, improve your language. 
So for, for, for that period in the academy, I was, I was really struggling because it seemed at many points that do I still know why I do this or I just practice something that, uh, that other people expect me to do and they just hope that I don't forget who am I. And uh, it seemed to me back then that I did not forget that. But I was always aware who am I and I'm still creating <laughs> a very original music. But now when I look back to that, then uh, I think I wasn't. Of course, there was a small part of me that was creating her own something. But the bigger portion was that, oh, I was at the same time proving myself that I'm capable of doing this, that, and a third thing. Uh, well, thankfully, I can see that small light there and see that, okay, she's still telling her story, but it's kind of covered up with a lot of experimentation and that kind of thing. But uh, when I got out of the Estonian Music Academy, which was kind of a hard struggle, uh, and went to Stockholm and, and saw uh, like other, <laughs> another kind of view on um, learning music, uh, then the difference was that I was uh, accepted there just as a vocalist. But in, here in Estonia, I was uh, accepted as a horn player. Like, you are a horn player and uh, nobody will forgive you that you don't have an instrument to find your notes. You just have to survive and that's it. And I, I did survive thanks to the very hard school <laughs> and, and high expectations. And then I went to Stockholm and I met all these nice people, very tolerant Swedish students and teachers and who were so worried about, oh, I'm sorry that we already went to practice this song and nobody gave you the notes, like where to start. And I was like, what is this going on here? Like, no, don't worry. And, and then I saw that, oh, wow, I have such a great advantage that I can just read the music and I just, I can do whatever and I'm accepted if I'm sometimes wrong because I still am a singer and I still don't have an instrument in front of me. But then that kind of gave me the feeling that I'm, I can do whatever I want to do. When I was in Stockholm, I can create anything. I hear things, I can, uh, I can write music that I hear in my inner ear. And, uh, and that was a great discovery. And, I, and I, I think both schools were extremely necessary. First one to prepare me to finally uh, realize my ideas. And, uh, and, and in Sweden, the Swedish school was important for me to loosen up and, and tell me that, hey girl, you can do whatever you want, whatever your soul tells you to do. No stylistic borders, no nothing. Pop, folk, classical, just to know. No expectations. And uh, that kind of loosened me up, but I was prepared. I, I was already like a, at least at some level of um, music theory to, to create what I then started to create. So uh, yes, coming back from Stockholm was kind of the start point. Now I'm still in a start point, but that was, I guess, a great start point for a new thing to come.
What year, what year was that when you returned from Stockholm? Sorry? What year was that when you returned from Stockholm? 2010, beginning of 2010. 2009 in the end, and 2010 I came away. Okay, so uh, academic necessities have had, say, powers in many ways in pushing you towards to this moment. Even well, though yeah. <laughs> at some point they were sort of hard to digest. Um, considering um, vocals on the side in your career being very core point of your doings, you have been uh, working with your voice and instruments. And, and one early company for similar-minded singers was uh, Shake It, a cappella mm-hmm. band. And, and, and would you tell about those days when you started experimenting with your voice, sort of bringing in your own music? Uh, it was my teenage years in high school. And uh, I think I was something like 16, 17 when we started that a cappella group. It only lasted until high school lasted one year on top of that. And then everybody went to study different things, not music. I was the only musician uh, there to continue as the musician. And then, uh, but that um, period of my life was uh, important because I was really just... uh, mm, Uh, creating music uh, out of experimentation and uh, out of uh, listening to the heart. No logic or no mathematical solutions used. Just trying to find, as you, as, a, as any kind of starting musician, finds chords and piano and then I wrote it down quickly. Thanks to my classical piano background, I, I had, I had not to, I didn't have to struggle because of notation. I knew how to, uh, how to put things into on, on paper, and then I was just trying to find the right chords which I loved, and then I wrote them down and we, we practiced them, and because I could have a band in the high school, I, I could see what are the results when you spend so much time with a band, because in later on in a. Um, Uh, professional career, you don't spend so much time with the band usually when you when you are when you have done the academic study period. Uh, and in high school, it was different because then you come together with your friends and you spend many nights in a row practicing, practicing like like mad people, sleeping on the floors and then laying on floors. Like when you wake up, starting to sing and practice some weird chords and so on. It was, it was just amazing period and, uh, and no need to prove anybody anything. Just a need to uh, make music that you love. And um, that taught me how to love a band's uh, work process and what's it all about. That sounds like a quite an important key moment, after all, even it lasted just a short period. Considering like um, Estonian voices is what I've been told uh, one of the most popular singing bands in Estonia. And, and also you've been performing um, 
in part with Donu Korovic's piece Mirror Mirrors, mm -hmm. which was uh, released by ECM Records. Uh, considering this kind of span from um, live band that is, uh, it's a working band still, you had not resolved, right? Estonian voices, yeah. yes. yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and this kind of very high profile recordings as a uh, guest artist. Uh, how would you say or describe what this kind of quite different project, if you think so, from the outside, not being a singer, might have uh, given you as a an artist perspective ways? What have you learned from this kind of things like Korvitsi's mirrors and, and then singing with Estonian voices? Well, I guess Estonian voices is much more closer to uh, to what I do uh, in my own main projects like Kadri Vorand in duo with Mikkel Melgand or tomorrow's chamber music ensemble because it's it's mainly my own my own songs or arrangements or at least input in some kind of way into into that uh, song creation uh, process but uh, yes for a period a longer period of my career I've been a part of very many different project pans and just project concerts and uh, I guess at some point uh, um, some composers noticed that I could read scores and and uh, and just uh, interpretate very difficult melodies and and I give all my soul to whatever I do. It doesn't matter if it's my own composition or a composition by someone else. When I start to sing it, I just try to find whatever is there to wake up my emotions. One or the other or third um, face of myself. Uh, so this uh, period where I was participating, not in 10 different projects, but 100 or I don't know how many I've had. I, I counted one year, 2017, that with uh, like counting in small projects like two, three, four songs up until whole concert projects, I had 50 different projects at one year. I was like a maximum, I think. Was Tormis project one of those? Definitely, <laughs> uh, yes, and different collaborations and so on. But it's uh, it's something that has taught me a lot, and and definitely has an uh, input into my own music as well. But now, for the last couple of years, I've been kind of uh, uh, trying to stay away from that and and just uh, concentrate more on my own uh, music and projects. Yeah, my next question would have been how on earth can you find time to share your hours? You have only the same 24 hours and 7 days a week like everybody else. So how do you actually pick up the ones that you participate and the other ones that you sort of lay somewhere on the table, maybe take them next year or so? So how do you, how do you share your time actually? Now it is much easier because I don't have 50 projects <laughs> For a year anymore, I have just mainly my own 
my, my duo with Michael Melgrand, now my chamber music ensemble, Estonian Voices, Tormis project, and sometimes a little bit this and that, but it's not that crazy anymore. And that's that has been my purpose for many years before that time. But now this has been going on for already almost two years that I kind of cut myself out from all these uh, one-time projects that took a lot of energy, but also gave me back a lot of ideas. So I'm thankful for that. And when, so now it's quite easy to plan uh, my time, but in a way harder as well, because I'm not so used to, or at least at the beginning of this new period, I was not used to plan uh, well my own writing or practicing. Because when you have a lot of, lot of different things to do, then it's kind of easy to forgive yourself if you don't have time to concentrate on one thing too long. Because all your days are just full of things. So... I remember a day when uh, I woke up and went to studio to record uh, Velo Dormi's quartet songs. And then I went back home and uh, learned for a couple of hours uh, tribute to Adele, some songs. And then I went to a rehearsal with a duo because we had a London gig ahead. And then I went back home and put a uh, a towel on my face and recorded the commercial for Estonian Voices Christmas tour. And, and that was just one day. So it was just planned like this, that from this, that, 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 so I had five different things, just different projects to handle at one day and then the other day. And so it just went on like that. And it was kind of easy. It's, it's easy to, uh, to be occupied with a lot of things. It's, it's much harder to plan uh, creating m new music. It's, it's terribly, uh, like it's, 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 it's uh, so much harder that I didn't have any idea of that before. <laughs> and, and still you have, like you mentioned, two projects that we are going to talk next. But um, for example, Armo Purius, you know, like record before the previous one, and, and in duo of it, Michael Malkand. Uh, is there a sort of method when you start working with something that, okay, this will be on my next album, this will go to this imaginary project somewhere else? Is there that kind of thing or, or, or is it more like you have a record, recording deal and you start working with the album, you go to the studio and start experimenting from scratch. How, how do you actually work with new music? Do you have a, a, like a box full of, or your laptop full of ideas and, and melodies or lyrics or po poems that, or something that you start with? Or how, how do you actually work mm. with new music, meaning it will be released as Katri Warrant next album? Uh, it's different each time and nothing's planned to be like it eventually is. <laughs> I think uh, when I couldn't record at home, well, I don't record everything at home right now, but since my last album, which I did record at my sauna house, I discovered creating in studio but studio has usually been something very uh, 
very uh, expensive. So that means that you have to be heavily prepared before you enter a studio room. You have to have practiced uh, maximum before you enter this room and now you will record your three or five takes, pick the best out and that's your jazz rec record way of recording, usually. So then I was kind of also entering at that period into band rehearsals the same way. I had everything notated, forms planned, and we rehearsed the songs first as they were planned and finalized. Uh, but, uh, and then, then we started to make minor changes. Now it's a little bit different. I have some sort of uh, main theme or this scratch of, of that kind of form, part of form, and then maybe the ending would be something like that. And, then I start to kind of just test out different things. And I allow myself much more freedom of collecting composing. That I don't decide every little detail uh, in advance. I react to what I hear in the rehearsal room and then take my final decision or make the decision collectively with other musicians if we're talking about the structure of the melody or form of a piece, but of course, in improvisational music, musicians give their input with improvisations, and uh, and this is something that I have no uh, uh, right to decide over. So yeah, we cannot underestimate that part of uh, the final result either. But yes, it's it it used to be much more. Uh, like concrete and now much more free and experimental in the way of how do I compose. Have you ever had a temptation to sort of work a package of remixes or remakes of pieces that you have already released? Because it's, it, like you said, it's a process and you have to make up your mind quite fast which is going to be recorded actually and, and then how, how the package is going to be in the end due to the expenses from the studio and all the other pe people involved. Um, have, you, have you ever had a sort of itch to release an album of sort of remixes or, or remakes with electronics or something else? Like you make a very interesting version of Michael Jackson's one early '90s hit tunes in in duo album, and and that sort of combined with what you just said makes me think that it would be interesting to hear something like a collaborational remix thing from your music. Otherwise. Hmm. Uh, it's, uh, well, I believe in uh, uh, in in kind of my the, the inner voice or the feeling in my stomach. So one thing is to plan in music, <laughs> but the other totally different thing from it is the final result. So uh, of course you can also follow your plan and not change it, even if you see that the final result doesn't move your soul 
or doesn't touch your soul. But this is something I don't believe in at all. If I have a plan to maybe make a collaboration and then I step into this collaboration and find out that it's really not something that I would like to listen and it, it really doesn't touch me, then uh, I have the courage to say, sorry, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> and then uh, I don't usually quit easily, but then I just work on it as long and as hard as I can to make something out of it that will eventually uh, touch me or give me something back. Um, so, yes, there has been a lot of plans of how to how to make good choices of this or the other tune to uh, get listeners here or there, but I don't remember any times when this plan has actually worked. <laughs> so, yes, there have been a lot of plans, but the result is always different. So uh, even when we had this Michael Jackson song on the CD, it was not like, oh, let's pick a Michael Jackson song because then we have a song that everybody knows. It was just that Michael started to improvise on a vamp and we saw that it goes together with this Michael Jackson song. And then we were so eager to play it more and more and more. So it was like, oh, we have to play this, this one as well. And then we have to put it on the record as well. So it's, it's always organic. Uh, in the way that you have to feel in your stomach that uh, you like it and then there's hope that someone else in the audience might like it. So, yes, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> yes, it does, around the corner. So when it's a, done, it's done and it's a wrap and that's it. Well, uh, when, when it's on the record, then it's done. But even after the record is uh, released, then I already would like to maybe... A year later, like now, I would like to already say that, well, maybe I would have put this song also on the CD instead of that. But then, in a way, I just like forgive myself at the same time, because you always make the best decisions you can at, at this very moment you're in right now. And uh, there's no point of looking back for too long. It's... It's only about, so what am I going to do next? So yes. mindfulness method works here as well. You, uh, you focus on the moment instead yes. of thinking the past or planning too much the future. And I don't mind changing my old tunes either. Sometimes I take a tune, I don't like that form anymore, so I'll just change the form and play it differently in the future. Or maybe even re-release. I have some many ideas actually of re-releasing some old tunes in another kind of... Uh, version. Um, in duo with Michael Malkan, the album has taken you to new places, uh, starting from the uh, record company ACT, legendary German three-letter company. Um, how did you end up working with the company? You you're, you have been released earlier on ECM, for example, the uh, Mirrors album, but. Uh, How did you? How did this album came to be an ACT release? Would you open that side a little bit? That was just very logical, I guess. <laughs> But meantime, it's uh, also a matter of luck, I guess, as well. 
I, I remember of telling my uh, lovely manager assistant Morili once that yes, I have uh, this label uh, uh, ACT. Like we, uh, I talked. Maybe we should like try to uh, like talk to them as well if we were discussing like should we have a a label outside from Estonia. And then I told, but yes, but they will never respond to any letters and so on. And years went by. Uh, and then um, I had some concerts in Germany again. And then uh, Morelli remembered that I, uh, I had this act in my mind. And then uh, I, sent, I, I told like Morelli, just uh, like invite different people to the concerts. And so she uh, said, uh, like this, uh, found uh, that, oh, there was this label act and she invited uh, uh, just with a very general letter, also an invitation to the act label. And then uh, the, the main producer, Sigi Lok, opened the letter for a surprise and actually uh, came to our concert. <laughs> and then he liked the concert. And then here we are having this CD released after this, uh, like under this label. Yes, but it's it's just I guess a lot of uh, other little details in this play as well, because uh, before he came to see this concert, he actually flew in from Berlin to München to see our duo concert. He had done a lot of homework. It was kind of even shocking to to hear when we were talking to Sigi Lok that he had been listening to most of my YouTube videos and remember different YouTube videos and talking about one and the other and the third. And I was like, so he had done his homework very well. And he knew a lot about me and my different projects. And, uh, and that, I was completely blown away by this fact that you just got an invitation and, and, uh, and you're here and we're, we're talking and then and then already after the concert, he was just, okay, so let's meet. I'll, I'll fly to Tallinn and, and let's see how this will continue from here on. And yes, so in a way, it seems like a very logical thing to happen. But if you look at the whole picture, to have all those YouTube videos, <laughs> it doesn't happen in a one day or one year or in, in five years. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been a long way to, uh, I don't know what's, what kind of convinced him to fly from Berlin to München, but he did. <laughs> He's a uh, very alert gentleman, turned 80, I think, this August, and he's still running, running the company and, and bringing up new acts to the new market or new audiences. Uh, you declined my idea of remixing your stuff, but you are actually doing uh, tomorrow here at Jatskar a sort of version of in duo with Michael Malkant music with uh, chamber quartet with strings. Am I correct? Yes. Where, where, where Ch chamber ensemble. Chamber ensemble. Sorry. Uh, could you do a little bit um, reflect on that? Thing. How did you uh, came up with the idea and, and what we are actually hearing tomorrow in the concert with, with Chamber Ensemble? Uh, this, uh, 
this project or this ensemble, this is not a project, hopefully. This ensemble is something that I heard in my inner ear as a sound of hope. <laughs> the string quartet, me and Michael's duo, combined with Otto Abner's very uh, sensitive drum playing, and Marek Dahl's also very sensitive uh, approach to beauty in music. Uh, I think all of this together with me and the strings is something that I wanted to use as a tool to uh, put uh, more positive thoughts or hope into music from my very personal perspective. And uh, I think I needed that myself. And why did that idea come up? Because last year, when this ensemble was already actually created, it's uh, in Estonia we celebrate on the 2nd of November the, the kind of soul day, Hingedabav. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's the time, it's the day where you uh, go to the graveyard and light a candle and, and kind of talk to the souls of your ancestors. It's like yeah. Halloween, Estonian Halloween. No, 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 no. In, it's, in it's, Halloween it's, in its original form. It's it's a very uh, it's it's much more I think much more deeper form of that. It's as it's this. They say that that the souls of our ancestors actually move around and you can be in connection. But it's no tricks or no weird things. It's just about mentally being in touch and going to thank your ancestors for once existing and uh, and to celebrate this day i uh, i had to form i had to i had to create a concert and then i thought that now was the time to realize my idea that what's the word in english not realize but realizere uh, man to yes bring to life yes this idea of mine that i just mentioned the sound of hope <laughs> yes. Mm, are you uh, sitting behind your uh, normal piano, electronics, uh, loopers, or is this uh, like new approach also from your part, or when you combine this music with chamber ensemble? I think I just use less electronic effects anyway overall in that program. Do you feel naked without those? No, I think I feel I feel safe because I have with me eight people on stage and they're all wonderful people as well. And so Michael is always like a crowned base and base in in lit literature, literally base and and also bringing these low low vibes and low frequencies to the music that is sort of like human system pumping life well it's the whole palette it's uh, it's the whole yes well it's my music with those instruments and it's uh, it's an ensemble that uh, is first uh, mm, brought together to to make uh, music for soul for each musician that is taking part at first. So every person 
is first in the band rather than every instrument. So it's, it's about creating music with those people who believe in music of soul. So don't get me wrong, it's not soul music, I guess, in stylistic way, <laughs> but it's soul music for me personally. Music coming from soul. Yes. From the deepest inside. Yes. Um, are we going to hear some selection of the music from Induo album or uh, the album in full or what kind of uh, set list do you have planned for tomorrow? There will be a selection of my previous songs that uh, I think tell the story that we need in this program. Uh, and some are from the Duo album. And there will be several completely new songs. So, uh, yes, two songs even will be uh, uh, premiering tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, the sound anyway is new for me because we've only had one concert last year and been in pause, having a pause since that. So, for us, like those songs that are new and especially composed for this ensemble, are going to be played tomorrow and also, yes, as I mentioned, some songs from the duo album. So it will be second concert in the whole history of this ensemble thing? Yes. And first presentation of two new pieces of music? Yes. And uh, also some other new pieces. I would still call them new because they're only once played in Tartu. So Tallinn premiere anyway for more than two pieces, I don't remember, was it four or five, something like that. Wow. That leads to the uh, next question, if we still have little time, it's four minutes to three. <laughs> this was one hour session, time flies when you have fun. Um, what are you actually working now? These new uh, compositions or pieces of music, are they going to be on some future album? And is it going to be an ACT album? What is the schedule for it? I think you have some plans. Uh, well, uh, I'm having uh, at, the, at the same time many plans and no real plan at all. <laughs> Because I'm also composing for Estonian Voices. Uh, we have our 10th year, Jubilee year going on and uh, at Christmas Chance Festival we'll be having a concert all, and also presenting five completely new songs and then uh, I'm writing first on voices and working with them and then I'm I also at the summertime I wrote uh, new music for the duo with Mikkel Malgan then and now I have a couple new tunes for this uh, chamber music ensemble And uh, some songs are kind of used in all different projects, but mostly it's not the same songs. So, yes, it's uh, three different things going on at the same time from my creation or creating music parts of life. But uh, if you're asking when is the next album coming out, then uh, there is no date, but I guess the expectation is probably... Uh, in the end of next year or the, or the beginning of 2022. Now, in January, it's 2021, yes. So, yes, something like that. Uh, will it be out on ACT Records, ACT Music? 
Well, I assume so. <laughs> At least now it's the plan is to have a next album with them. So we'll see what will be the which of pro, of the projects it will be, or maybe it's a collabor co collaboration project of some sort of new uh, idea. So I don't know that yet, but I have new music uh, um, coming up at this period of my life. So I guess uh, I don't know yet what idea is the winning idea. But uh, in the beginning of uh, 2021, we have to sort it out because I want to go and start recording again. And um, yes, we just have to find out which is uh, something to work with now. But I'm working with all those different projects that I also did not mention at the same time. So, yeah, have to probably feel it in the stomach. And also, Sigi Lok has to feel it in his stomach. Like, which kind of thing it is to go with. Sounds fascinating. Um, is there something I forgot to ask? I have two page, three pages more questions, but our time <laughs> is up. Um, is there something you would like to share to finish and wrap up our our session now regarding tomorrow or something in your crystal ball very near future something like news type of thing for mm. your fans and audience and and Yatskar audience um, I think no uh, there is uh, the, how, like if we started uh, a totally new subject well there is a lot to talk because now it seems that we haven't really talked about much yet, that now we've just started to talk and we warmed up and we could continue on for a couple of hours. But to wrap it all up, it's not, I think, so important to, to uh, think about the artist's background. Of course, it's interesting. I'm also very interested to know what's behind the scene. But when I listen to music, and uh, then... Uh, it's just very important for me that it feeds my uh, capability of dreaming and wondering and, and feeling. So uh, just enjoy listening to music and do not be afraid of listening to new music because listening to something you've never heard before feeds your capability of uh, fantasizing and creating something new. So just listening to a lot of good music, a lot of new music, is just good for the brain and for the soul and for the heart. So let's just listen to more music. That would be <laughs> my thought to end it, to wrap it up. Thank you. Uh, that leads to one question, one final question, if, if I may. Um, you are also um, academic. You are teaching in, in, in here, arts and... I'm teaching in Estonian Music and Theatre Academy. Yes, and and just what you said about uh, feeding your soul and heart and brain and mind and social connections with all new music and new experiments and experiments. Have you been able to sort of um, include that kind of approach to the academic surroundings? to 
be able to deliver that kind of approach and attitude to your students as well? Yes, I think uh, that is one of the main goals. That how to how to uh, send out your message in the best possible way. <laughs> That's the, the golden question. Yeah, because what you said about your early student years in in creative arts, that you were a little bit, I can sense the disappointment that uh, how it felt like to a young person open to the world and 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 maybe maybe it's a different future for your students through your own approach and experiences mm -hmm. that way. Well, in a way, I wouldn't call myself a teacher anyway. I'm not, I'm, I don't consider myself a teacher. Is there, if there is something you can learn from me, then just do. <laughs> That's, I guess, what I feel that I'm there for. Okay. Thank you, Katri. Thank you, everybody. And see you at Yatskar concert tomorrow. Katri Voran. Thank you for asking your ensemble. good questions. Thank you. Thank you.